You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Morning, welcome to Creekside. My name is Jeff, one of the pastors here. If it's your first time with us, thank you so much for joining us today for worship. We are just delighted to have you here. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for sharing your testimony. A little bit about it. That was beautiful. And uh, just a shout out to Cross Street. Uh, they do such an incredible job of being a light for Jesus here in the community. And hey, if you're not plugged into serving here at Creekside and you're like, where do I even start? That's a great place to start. Second and fourth Saturday, just literally out there. Tons of stuff to do all the time. Saturday morning, super convenient way to serve for you and uh, just a great way to bless our community as well. So I encourage you to take that next step. We should have info out there. I think we do. I'll just say we do. So you go out there and get info. So, well, as we continue our series on disciple making, let's go to God's word. And uh, let's first, let's go to God and ask him for help. Jesus, as you say in uh, today's passage, apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus, apart from you, I cannot preach a sermon worth hearing. Lord, or we will have nothing to take away that is worthwhile. So Jesus, we ask you uh, that we would abide with you this morning as you abide with us, that you would give us attentiveness to what you wanna say. That's why we're here, Jesus. We want you to teach us from your word. And so spirit, make us receptive, make us willing to do what you say, Jesus. Uh, And when we see the great joy that comes from just walking closely with you, Uh, Jesus, we can't do anything apart from you, (laughs) but in you, uh, we can do everything you call us to do, and you will give us joy. So would you teach us now from your word in your name, amen. So remember prom in high school? Remember prom? I I hated prom, and here's why. Uh, In theory, prom sounded great. Sounded great. You get to go on this long date with a girl you really like. Theoretically, great. Here's the the problem. When I went on prom, I I knew what prom would entail. For some reason, you had to dance. (laughs) And not just slow dance, like dance, dance. And you had to do it for hours. Uh, Mike Berbiglia describes this perfectly. You know, your self-esteem as a high schooler, it's hovering right around zero. And then you go, and this just knocks it down to negative a thousand, right? When you have to go dance, it's terrible. It was terrible for me because I can't dance. And, and you're with this girl and she wants to dance and she kind of expects you to lead the dance. So she's looking at you like, hey, dance. And then you do what every guy who doesn't know how to dance, dance. It's that non-committal dance, right? Just like, not really sure what we're doing. Can't really commit to the dance. And she's like, mm. and you're like, ah. And, and it's terrible, and that's two hours. Two hours of your life. It is terrible. Um, so, what does this have to do with making disciples? That's the series we're in. Jesus says, go, make disciples. What's a disciple? Someone who knows Jesus, who's growing to be like Jesus, who's going with Jesus. And we've been looking at the barriers to doing this. We know we're supposed to do it. If you're a believer and you're walking with Jesus, you know your mission. Jesus gives the church's mission. He gives you his mission. Our mission is to know Jesus, 
to grow to become like Jesus. And if you're growing to become like Jesus, what are you gonna do? We've seen it. You go with Jesus out into the world to make more disciples. And really what we've been trying to do for the last few weeks is just talk about the barriers. What keeps us from living in Jesus' mission? So we've seen that discipleship is hard. So we need the right motivation. We need gospel motivation to do it, right? That, that we give everything for Jesus and his mission because he gave everything for us. And, and I live my life for Jesus because Jesus lived and died for me. So you need that right motivation. And then last week we saw that we don't do this alone. In fact, we can't do it alone. It's a team sport. We need the whole body of Christ to make disciples. So we're removing barriers. Here's the next barrier that I want to address today. There is a team component to making disciples. There's also an individual component. I make disciples. And here's the thing about going and teaching people to observe what Jesus commands and this whole process of disciple making. At some point in the process, you've got to take the lead. Take the lead. You've got to reach out to people. You've got to initiate a conversation. You've got to work to, to move a relationship from superficial conversation to spiritual conversation. At some point, you've got to say, hey, I'd like to talk about Jesus with you. Or, hey, can we open the Bible? Now, all of those things are really scary. And, and you know the feeling like, I don't want to screw this up. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I make things worse? Listen, there are natural dancers. There are no natural disciple makers. There aren't. And taking the lead in this is going to feel awkward, scary. I don't know how to make disciples. Well, I'm gonna tell you the secret to disciple making this morning, okay? Ready for the secret? Here it is. Here's the secret. Ultimately, you don't make disciples. You don't. You don't lead the dance. Who does? Jesus. Jesus tells us the secret right here. You ready for it? Go back a slide. I screwed up my introduction. Sorry, I was supposed to start with this. Yeah. Here's the secret. Make disciples? No, abide in me. Stay close to me. Because apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Why is this the secret? That's what we are talking about today. Two very simple points today. Here they are. Ultimately, who makes disciples? Jesus. How does he do it? Through us. As we what? Stay connected to him. This completely changes the way I look at discipleship. If you wanna make disciples, if you wanna see Jesus transform the people around you, it's not about any tip or tactic or strategy or competency I could give you or teach you. Those things might help, but, but they're not gonna do it because apart from Jesus, guess how much you can do in disciple making? Zero, zero. But you can stay connected to him. And if you do that, it changes everything. So we're looking at kind of the, a foundational text for Creekside, John 15. Side note, super excited. You ladies who are going on the retreat, this is what you're talking about, abiding. So I'm just gonna whet your appetite, okay? Talk more about abiding all next weekend. So let's start with the first point. Jesus makes disciples. Who makes disciples? That's the question. It's kind of a trick question, isn't it? Because in one sense, everyone makes disciples, right? We're all called to do it. In another sense, none of us make disciples. 
It's what Jesus does. What does he say? John 15, four through five, he's talking to his disciples. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus defines his relationship with us and he compares us to branches. He compares himself to a vine. He's the vine, we're the branches. He's the vine, what does that mean? He's the source of life. He's the source, not the branch. The life comes from the branch? No, the life comes from the vine. It flows through the branch. So, We know Jesus is the vine. He's the source of life. We know we're the branches. Here's the key question today. What is fruit? Because that's what Jesus wants to do in us, right? He wants to bear fruit. He says it twice here. The reason that he's living within us is to bear fruit. And so the million dollar question is, what kind of fruit does Jesus want to bear? He doesn't answer it in John 15, by the way. So we have to go elsewhere in John to find the answer. How does Jesus talk about fruit in John's gospel? Well, let's look, John 4. Look what Jesus says. You might remember the story here. Jesus goes into Samaria. He just happens to go through there. God providentially leads him through there. He runs into a woman. Remember, he has this conversation. The woman's eyes are open. She perceives that Jesus is a prophet. In fact, John says she believes that Jesus is the Messiah. So this woman who wasn't supposed to get it, she gets it. Remember, that's the context. She comes to faith in Christ. And now here's the context. That just happened. And now she's going back into the village. And all of these Samaritans are now coming out to meet this amazing man. And here's what Jesus says. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and what? Gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. So in this context, Jesus is talking about reaping fruit from a harvest. What harvest is he talking about? He's talking about people who are receptive to him. And he's saying to his disciples, the harvest is ready. In other words, God has been sowing and working in people and they are coming to me. Some sow, some reap, but those who reap, those who lead others to Christ, like Jesus just led the Samaritan woman, like the disciples will lead others to Christ. How does Jesus describe that? Gathering what? Fruit. So here, fruit is what? More disciples, right? Okay, I got another one. I'm gonna prove it to you, okay? This is what Jesus is talking about. Next one, John 12. Jesus talking about his impending death. How does he describe it? Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. In John's gospel, anytime the the, the phrase the hour is mentioned, that's the hour of Jesus' death. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And at that point, Jesus will be glorified. In other words, God's character will be displayed, his love and justice, and Jesus will be exalted. That's what happens at the cross. So Jesus is talking about his death. Here's how he describes it. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it what? Bears much fruit. Here's what Jesus is saying. Just, just like a, a seed 
has to be buried, right? It has to die to become fruitful to what? To bear more fruit, to bear more seed. So Jesus will have to die, be buried, be raised, but what will his death accomplish? Much fruit. Jesus died alone. What does he reap? More followers, more fruit. That's what he gathers in through his death. So, so you see in the picture here, Jesus' mission was to bear fruit. Jesus' mission for us is to bear fruit. And so in John 15, when Jesus talks about bearing fruit, what is he talking about? Making disciples. It might mean more than that, but it does not mean less than that. Jesus doesn't just want to reproduce his life in us. He wants to reproduce his life through us and in other people. That's what Jesus is about. And so back to that critical question, who makes disciples? Well, we're all called to make disciples, but ultimately Jesus is the disciple maker. He's the vine. He bears the fruit. You can't save someone. You can't transform their heart. You can't convict them of sin so they want to repent and love Jesus. Only Jesus can do that. That is profoundly humbling, isn't it? Like, like we don't contribute to this. It's his work, ultimately. Think about how he says it later in John 15, 16. To his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, clearly go and make disciples and that your fruit should abide. You know, if you were a disciple, you would have felt pretty special, right? Like, you know, Jesus picked me for his team, right? I'm a number one draft pick. Jesus says here, guys, don't, don't get too high on yourselves, okay? It's not your mission, it's my mission. You didn't choose me. In other words, the disciples didn't figure all this out. They didn't show up in Bethlehem at Jesus' birth. They're like, hey guys, we're here. Hi, Jesus' parents. We've been reading our Old Testaments. We figured it out. Messiah's gonna be born here, ready to follow him, right? No, these, these idiots had no idea who Jesus was until Jesus picked them, not because they were special, but for Jesus' good purpose. He appoints them. He sends them and he bears fruit through them. This is Jesus' work. I love verse eight. Jesus goes on to say, you will bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. When God makes disciples through us, what does it prove? That we're special? That we're super Christians who've got it figured out? No, it just proves that we were following Jesus. Jesus bore the fruit. It just proves we were doing what he wanted us to do, which was go and make disciples. It's profoundly humbling. Jesus leads the dance. Jesus takes the steps. He seeks and saves the lost. He makes dead people alive. That's humbling. Here's the second thing though. It's really encouraging, isn't it? Because you can be a super normal, boring Christian. <laughs> Seriously, just ordinary, mundane. Don't feel like you know your Bible very well. Don't feel like you're competent, but guess what? Jesus is in you. And Jesus knows how to make disciples. He's really good at it. 
And that's why we often say here at Creekside, the Christian life is not you doing your best for Jesus. It's Jesus doing his best through you. That's the point. He appoints, he does this so that you bear fruit. There's a great quote, Stephen Neal, in the history of Christian mission. He talks about how ordinary the first Christians were. And as he describes the progress of the gospel in Acts, the book of Acts, here's what he says. Nothing is more notable than the anonymity of these early missionaries. What is he saying? They're nobodies. They're nameless. Luke does not turn aside to mention the name of a single one of those pioneers who laid the foundation. Few, if any, of the great churches were really founded by apostles. Peter and Paul may have organized the church in Rome. They certainly did not found it. You see this throughout the book of Acts. Who starts the church in Antioch? Some brothers and sisters, Luke says. Doesn't even tell us who they are. Start this great spiritual movement. I don't know, some other Christians did that. And then some other Christians helped start Ephesus. And some Christians we don't even know started the church in Rome. We don't know. So many of these people... And yet God worked through them. In fact, that's the reason you're here today is because John 15, 16 is true. That he did send the disciples out. He did appoint them. They did go. They did bear fruit and the fruit remained. The fruit remained and remained and remained and reproduced itself until 2000 later as you're sitting here listening to me talk about it. What does that mean? Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus makes disciples. It is so clear to get that right because you will never feel courageous enough or competent enough or strong enough to go do this. That's why when Jesus says, go and make disciples, what's the last thing? He says, I am with you. I'm with you to the end of the age. What does that mean? He's gonna go do it. He's gonna do it. Say, okay, great, Jeff, what does that mean? Do I just sit back and do nothing? No, you have a responsibility, but your responsibility isn't to bear the fruit. Jesus' command isn't go bear fruit, is it? What's the command? What's the command in John 15? Now, abide, ah, come on, yeah. First service, I'm counting on you. You're the ones that are good at this, okay? I always chastise second service, yeah. Because you guys do it, you guys are better. Don't tell them I said that, but you guys are better at, at getting this. The command is to abide, abide. What does Jesus say? Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is he who bears much fruit. Life comes from the vine, but the life of the vine comes through the branch. Jesus wants to make disciples. Here's the second point. He wants to make disciples through who? Us, through me, through you. And so that means that ultimately my connection to the vine dictates the fruitfulness of my life. What is abiding? Jesus says, abide in me. Well, the word means to, means to remain, to dwell, to rest in. I like the image of home. Where's your home? The old word for home is an abode, right? My humble abode. What's an abode? It's the place you abide. Home has this sort of gravitational pull, right? Like, I like traveling, I like vacations, but at some point you just wanna be home. I want to cook on my grill, I wanna brew my coffee, I wanna sleep on my mattress, because I've worked for years to get that groove right. No, no other mattress has that groove. I want my mattress, I wanna watch my TV, I wanna be with my family, and, and, and that's the, the default place to rest. That's the place I'm, I'm naturally inclined to go. 
That's what Jesus is supposed to be for us. It's that resting place. It's the the default that we want to be with him. And, And the truth is this, it is possible as a believer to stray from him, to ignore him, to walk away with him, from him. That's why there's the command, abide. Here's the dynamic of our relationship with Jesus. The fact of the relationship doesn't change. If you are in Christ, you have union with Christ and your union with Christ is secure. So you have that in Jesus and Jesus is the one who establishes it. Jesus is the one who keeps that and you can stray, you've still got the relationship. Union is stable, our communion with Jesus, the intimacy of the relationship, the warmth of a relationship, the vibrancy of the relationship, that fluctuates. You can walk away, you can ignore, you can resist him, and if you do, you're not abiding. And the fruitfulness of your life will be impacted. So communion is something we have to work at. Intimacy is something we have to work at. How do you foster deeper intimacy in your relationship with Jesus so he can work through you? Well, in any relationship, what's the key to connection? Conversation. You're talking, right? That's how you know who you're connected to. You're talking all the time. And to me, abiding with Jesus is learning to cultivate a lifelong conversation with Jesus where he guides you more and more in every waking moment of your life. Because he's leading the dance steps, right? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make disciples. I don't know how to do any of this, but Jesus does. I stay connected to him. It's a conversation. Any good conversation, listening, talking. And in our conversation with Jesus, listening comes first. Listening is the priority. We have to hear his voice. Listen to how Jesus defines abiding. Jesus says, abide in me, and then goes down to say in verse seven, if you abide in me, and what abides in you? My words. So how do we experience Christ's presence in our lives through his what? His words. Jesus says it earlier, it's John 8, 31, not 21, but he says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. The word continue is abide. If you abide, if you remain, if you make your home where in my words, that's how you know who a disciple of Jesus is. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because a disciple is a learner, is a student. And a student needs a what? A teacher. And if you think Jesus is the source of all life and the source of all wisdom, you are gonna make your home in his teaching all the time. That's how you know who a student of Jesus is is one who is constantly chewing and meditating on his words. That's how Jesus makes his presence and will known to us so that we become responsive to him. The Old Testament word meditate, I love that word. That's what Jesus is talking about, a meditative relationship on the words. To to meditate literally means to chew in the Hebrew. Like a cow chews the cud, right? Just can't stop chewing on that thing. That's how we're supposed to treat God's word, savor it, chew on it. I I had a terrible habit of eating too fast when I was earlier, right? Just go to Jack in the Box, just right? Go back around the drive-thru, right? Eat some more. The goal was just to get fed, right? This This is not Jack in the Box. 
This is a three Michelin star meal, okay? If you paid $500 for that plate, you're not scarfing it down. You're slowing down. You were taking smaller bites. You were savoring. You, you're, you're noticing the subtlety. This is the finest meal. You have to slow down. You have to think. Okay, how, what does this mean? How does this apply to me? Think through, how do I internalize it? What would it look like if I lived this out? Where do I fall short? And as you think and think, you, you taste the word, you digest the word, you internalize the word, and then the word becomes a part of who you are. It's just you. That's how Jesus says to abide in me, abide in my word, abide in my teaching, because ultimately you're not teaching your great insights to people. You're not teaching these discoveries or life hacks. You're teaching them to obey what? What Jesus commanded. Jesus is the teacher. You're the student. You're just learning from Jesus and then Jesus teaches through you. That's discipleship. Does that make sense? And one of the scariest things about making disciples is this. You get into these situations and you're like, okay, I don't know what to what say. I don't know what to say. You know what? You're right. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to say until you get in the situation. Do you know who does know what to say? Jesus. If you are abiding in his word, Jesus will give you what to say when you need to say it. Let me show you how this works. Okay, so a few weeks ago, uh, Greg gave a great sermon uh, last sermon in December. If you didn't listen to it, listen to it. Super powerful sermon on forgiveness and uh, got a huge response from it. Uh, you should go listen to it if you haven't listened to it. Okay, here's the backstory on that sermon, okay? Uh, like two weeks before, Greg had already prepared a sermon for that week and he came up to me and he said, hey, Jeff, um, God gave me a sermon in a dream and I think I should give it. Now, I've been in ministry for a while and I know what people do when they say that. <laughs> and it doesn't always go well. <laughs> I'll just be honest. I've been to a lot of conferences where, you know, I had something prepared. I'm gonna say what God has put in my heart. And I'm saying, oh gosh, just rambling, disjointed, goes everywhere. It's the most unfocused thing. I'm like, uh, I think you just wanted to say that, bro. Don't think God wanted you to say that. So I'm like, mm. I trust, but I verify with that, right? So I'm like, Okay, God said it to you. What's the sermon about? And he laid it out. Main idea. Boom, boom, boom. Here are my points. I'm like, hmm. I think God gave you a sermon. And, and, and then I thought, God, why don't you give me sermons that way? Like, <laughs> do you know how much time it would save if I could just dream sermons? So I went from being skeptical to like a little resentful, right? Like, I, I'm... But here's the thing. God did not spontaneously implant that sermon in Greg's mind. God had been sowing that sermon into Greg's life for his entire adult life. Because I don't know almost anyone who's thought more and practiced more around anger and forgiveness than Greg. It's a part of him. It's a part of him and as Psalm 1 says, you know, how blessed is the one who meditates on the word, delighting in it day and night, day and night. God brings things to mind. God brings things to our awareness. When it becomes a part of it, the spirit gives you what you need to say when you need to say it to make disciples. That's step one, abide in the word. The reality is this, you're always abiding in something, 
You're always dwelling in something. You're making your home somewhere. And here's the principle, whatever you're abiding in, you're abounding in. Yeah. Jeff, I don't know how to make disciples. You're already making disciples. You're already teaching something all the time. And it's whatever you're abiding in. If you're abiding in criticism, you're making critics. If you're abiding in anxiety, you're making anxious people around you anxious. If, if you're abiding in personal success and your own dreams, you're teaching people the most important thing in your life is to pursue your dreams and chase success. You're always abiding in something. Where is your mental dwelling place? That's the question. Where's your home? Where do you run to? What do you sit in? Here's a very practical way to assess this, okay? Practical point for, for, for question one here. Um, it's the new year. A lot of us are, you know, working on our physical diet, right? What do I eat? How about your mental diet? Uh, Brett McCracken developed this really helpful thing. You know, you've heard of the food pyramid, right? Which probably was wrong. I had to revise it a bunch of times. But the idea is good. There's proportionality. We need proportionality in our mental diet too. You need a wisdom pyramid, okay? Here's his suggested pyramid. You might disagree a little, I don't care. This is basically good, okay? Staple food, our daily bread, the Bible. That's the most common information input. That's what we're eating all the time. Above that, relationships with other believers, learning from godly people around us or from time-tested theology, wise people in Christian history things that have stood the test of time. Above that, what are we learning at? From God's world, beauty, enjoying it, observation, attentiveness. Above that, books, probably books that stood the test of time, a broad array. Above that, we're getting into the junk food maybe, just a little bit, maybe just a little bit here, in the junk food part of it. Internet. And above that, you know, the little birdie. Now X, right? Social media. Now here's the thing. You can, you can go get entertained, you can go get news, you can go get informed. I'm not gonna ask a question, what's the proportionality of your diet? Here's a question, track it, like just like you do your little calorie track on you get your Fitbit or whatever, you know, you're just tracking it. Track it for a week, track your wisdom diet and just say, where am I spending my time to get input? I did it for a week, it was illuminating, okay? It's a good way to assess where you are. So Jesus is the disciple maker. He bears fruit through us. We stay connected. We listen to him. He gives us his words. The next thing we do is talk with him, right? Conversation is listening, but then we talk to Jesus and ask him for what we need. That's the second part of abiding. Listen to the second half of verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's an astounding promise, isn't it? Talk to my father, Jesus says. Anything you ask will be done for you. And he says a very similar thing in verse 16. So apparently Jesus really wanted us to get this point. Ask anything and it will be done for you. Now I know the question you're asking. Anything? <laughs> really? Anything? Like if I'm abiding in Jesus' word, right? Just like, God, let the Niners win this game, please. Like... <laughs> Don't tell me you weren't praying in the fourth quarter. Just a little bit. Like that guilt prayer when you're watching football. Like, I know I probably shouldn't care so much about this, but like, please just let them win, right? Like, you know that prayer. Anything, really? Anything? Is this just a blank check where we can write whatever we want and God cashes it? Well, think about the context. 
Two things from the context. First, what is the condition of answered prayer here? There's an if. What's the if? If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Okay, that's condition number one, is you are sitting in the words of Jesus, you are meditating them, you're making that his will for your life. That's important, right? Because if Jesus' words are abiding in you and you pray, what are you gonna pray? His words, his will, what he wants, his mission. That's contextual point number one. Here's point number two. This entire section is about Jesus giving the resources that his disciples need to accomplish the mission Jesus has given them. That's John 15, is I'm sending you out into the world, I'm preparing you for when I'm not gonna be physically present. The assurance is, is this, that Jesus will give the disciples what they need to make them what? Fruitful. That's the point. So when he says, ask anything in the name of the Father, the primary meaning of that here is this. You're gonna go out into the world and you're gonna be in all sorts of situations advancing my mission where you will be completely incapable of doing anything. And you're gonna have to cry out to God and he will give you everything you need to accomplish what he has given you to do so that you bear much fruit. Does that make sense? That's what Jesus is talking about. And that's the disciples. These ordinary guys go out and speak the most brilliant sermons ever given. They heal the sick. They raise the dead. They do the works of Jesus. How? Because they were living in prayerful dependence on him. Here's the point. For us, as we go to make disciples, as you are engaging with people, you have to engage from a place of constant dependence on Jesus to do the work you can't do because who makes disciples? Jesus through us. Here's the principle, and we say it often at Creekside, prayer is the work. Ministry is the reward. The work is prayer. Really practically, what does that mean? Here's how I approach conversations, right? Especially if I'm talking to someone that's yet to believe and it's going deeper, I'm having two conversations all the time. <laughs> Always having two conversations. I'm having a conversation with them and I'm having a conversation with who? Jesus. And here's how the conversation with Jesus goes. Help me, 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 help me. <laughs> But, but, but beyond that, here's what it goes. Like, Jesus, would you show me what this person needs to hear right now? Amen. Jesus, would you bring to mind what I need to say to this person? Jesus, help me to shut up because they want to talk. Help me to listen. Jesus, help me to answer the question that they're asking and not the question I want to answer. You see how this works? It's constantly asking for help in the moment we need it. And as we're abiding, guess what Jesus is gonna do? He's gonna bear fruit. And ultimately, the words we're gonna speak are gonna be Jesus' words because we're abiding in him and he's gonna reproduce his life, his love, his power through us. The Christian life is not me doing my best for Jesus. It's Jesus doing his best through me. But if I want to see Jesus work in my life, I gotta get closer to him. First step in getting on mission isn't to, to go out into the world, it's to, to come closer to Jesus. Because apart from him, you can do this much, this much. You can't make dead people alive. 
You can't make a dead plant grow. Only he gives life. And here, here's the reason to abide in Jesus. Do you know why I wanna be close to Jesus? Because Jesus has proven he wants to be close to me. You know what you're abiding in when you abide in Jesus? He tells us, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love. That's a staggering statement to think about. The eternal love of the Trinity, the love of the Father for the Son, Jesus says, that's the way I love you. You can't get your head around that. And Jesus is just saying, stay close to me so you can experience the fullness of that love moment by moment. And if you feel far from Jesus, here, here's the good news. Like coming to Jesus, you're not, you don't have to like climb up a mountain to get back to Jesus. If you're his, he's already with you. He's with you to the end of the age. He's pursuing you. All you have to do is turn back to him to be close to him, that's it. Jesus could not do more to demonstrate that he wants to be near us. That's the good news of the gospel. When we were far, when, when we were separated, Jesus crosses the infinite chasm. He brings heaven to earth. He becomes a man. He dies for our sin. He rises to restore us, to be with us forever. He could not love you more. He's just asking, stay close, that's it. Stay close and you'll bear much fruit. Let's pray. So Jesus, I pray that we'd see your great love for us. Jesus, uh, it is beyond comprehension. I pray, Lord, that we would make our number one priority every day, every week, every month, every year to remain close to you. Jesus, to see you're the true vine. You're the true source of life. There are many false vines out there, Lord. Many, many false sources of life. Would we stay near to you and your word would we live in a state of constant dependence on you? And Jesus, would we be the branches that bear fruit and so prove that we are your disciples? I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.